Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace City Online. My name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us online and being a part of our community. As Rich just said, this is week two of our series, Grace City DNA, where we are looking at the mission, vision, and strategy of our church. Last week, we looked at the vision where we always want to be creating a church where people experience the love of Christ and join in his redeeming work. We believe that, that as that happens, as we pursue that vision, that along the way, people will discover life in Christ. And that's our mission. That's what we want to see happen in your life and in my life, that we would discover life in Christ by his grace and in his community and live with his eternal purposes. And it comes from a promise that Jesus made. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So it's a promise that Jesus gives to any and all who trust in him and the hope of his kingdom, that we might have life and have life to the full. Well, it is a promise that Jesus, that Jesus makes, and while that promise fuels into the mission of our church, the irony of it is, is that that statement has also led to some bad theology, or really bad practice of, that the, of theology, in that people oftentimes will, will fill in life to the full in, in so many different wrong and errant ways. Like, they... they, they add in what they believe life and life to the full should look like. And what's ironic about that is that within the verse, Jesus even warns that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And one of the ways that the thief, one of the ways that Satan does this is through deception. We believe we're pursuing something that will lead to life and joy and happiness and hope, yet we find that it leaves us empty, that it never satisfies, and oftentimes it brings relational carnage and damage into our life and in the lives of those whom we love, and we've been deceived. I think we've seen an example of that over the past few weeks with the events surrounding um, uh, the, the Capitol in the first week of January. What, what you saw there is the myth of sinful Christian nationalism, or that was one of the things I should say we, we saw that week, was the, the myth of sinful Christian nationalism. It's, it's part, it's one, one such deception. And maybe you're not sure what Christian nationalism is or, or what that entails, but basically it's, it's this lie that if we can get the nation to bend to a certain expression of Christianity, then everything will be fine and we'll have life and life to the full. But here's the deal. Lies are full of half-truths, half-truths right? A half-truth is still a whole lie. Like we believe at Grace City, we believe wholeheartedly um, that, the, that Christ commands there for our good and for his glory. And so, yes, I do believe that, that the world would be a better place if more people confessed their sin, trusted in Christ, and, and allowed their lives to be transformed by him and to where they're uh, living out fruit of the Spirit, to where they're living their lives in line with the wisdom of his word. We also believe that that is a divine act of grace that God does in someone's heart and in someone's soul, which means like that can't be legislated, right? Like it can't be lawfully enacted into someone's heart and soul. And an attempt to do that takes the focus off the gospel and makes the salvific effort or the, 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 the saving work. It's, it's not on Jesus anymore, but now it's on government as the Savior in that if we can just pass this legislation, if we can just get this candidate in with this platform, then everything is going to be better. Everybody else will be better. We'll be more in, in, in line with God's will for our nation. And the crazy part of it is, is that, that so many uh, that are, have bought into the, the, this myth and sin of Christian nationalism might say, no, 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 I believe that Jesus is our only hope. 
but yet their life reveals the doctrine that no, their one hope is in traditional expressions of government and political leadership to where they begin to ignore the commands of Christ, ignore his teachings, and only to and overlook his way to push a policy, to push a platform, to push a candidate. And when that is the case, the lie has taken root. When that has happened, the deception is there. Now, I do want to give this one qualifier because we said it uh, in our series on politics back in November that at Grace City, we're a very purple church, right? We, we know that we have many people that, uh, that are, are vote Democrat, many people that vote Republican. And so if you voted Trump, uh, don't, uh, this is not me saying that, that everyone is, who voted Trump is, is bought into the myth of Christian nationalism, all right? I don't believe that is the case. I do believe that many in the crowd there around the Capitol had bought into this and have been deceived by this. I, I do believe that whole, wholeheartedly. I believe that deception is there. And now there's almost a reckoning from some within that were there, um, struggling to come to, to, to come to grips with what has happened, what has transpired, uh, that where maybe they're starting to see they've spent years pursuing this effort, and now, it, it, and now they're seeing the, the futility of it, or maybe they're, hopefully they're, they're seeing that, that that's wrong, that that's off. But when that happens, now there's this recognition, hey, my life, all this effort was, was misplaced. And that's where life has been taken from them, right? Like the thief has done what he's, the thief has stolen and, and, and robbed the joy there. No, the life that Jesus leads us to, it is life that is in and part of the kingdom of God, where we spend our lives on his eternal purposes. And that brings about hope and redemption and change in this temporal world. And yes, that leads to an impact on our city, state, and nation. And yes, it impacts our politics. It impacts how we vote and the candidates that we back. But we do this in the proper order and with the proper aim. That first and foremost, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, heralding the hope of a savior who will redeem and restore a broken and fallen world and transform the hearts and lives of his people. That's the life we are created to live, and it's one that leads, uh, that's one that he leads us to if we would, would follow him and follow Christ, our good shepherd. And so the question we should be asking ourselves to ensure that we don't waste our life, to ensure that we don't give our lives over to deception, is am I allowing my life to be led by a thief or by Christ and his kingdom? And it's in Acts chapter 9 where we get... I think we get an example of that. I think we get an example of this because we have the story of God calling the Apostle Paul. And in it, we see Paul discover life in Christ by grace and community and with his eternal purposes. And it's in so many ways, it's just a, a, a story that is fitting for so much of what we're walking through. You see, Paul initially thought that his life was about one thing, only to discover that he was wasting his life on something that was actually directly against God. Paul, or Saul as he's known in Acts chapter 9, he was, he was rising up the ranks of the Jewish religious leadership. He was trained under a famous rabbi. He was very well thought of because Paul was very zealous for the kingdom of Israel. He was zealous for the nation of Israel. A after all, they were God's chosen people, right? They'd been blessed. They'd been favored. They had been called by God, assigned by God with an eternal and sacred purpose. And he's right on those things. Israel called, blessed, favored, given that purpose, right, to, to be sure, okay? But for Paul, where it goes, starts to go off the rails is for the kingdom of Israel to once again return to its place of strength, for the nation of Israel to return to its proper footing on a global stage, for that to happen, for Israel to return to be fully blessed by God, then the people within the nation of Israel should conform to what in Paul's mind was a right and correct doctrine. 
Add to the fact Paul also believed that his love for God and his love for the nation of Israel could be demonstrated in his hatred of those things that Paul deemed outside of God's design or outside of God's will, that, that it could be expressed that way. And now there are the, all these new Christians who are preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, preaching that Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God. And for Paul, that's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. It's taken focus off of the kingdom of Israel, off the nation of Israel, onto the kingdom of God, and, and it, it's, it's, it's blasphemy. And so Paul dedicates himself. Paul dedicates himself to the persecution and elimination of the Christian heresy from among the Jewish people, from among the nation of Israel. And they were preaching that the Messiah, that the hope was Christ and Christ alone. He thought his life should be about the eradication of this heresy, and quickly his life turned to violence to hatred, to the spreading of fear and terror across the land. Yet in Acts chapter 9, Jesus interrupts his life, shows him the error of his ways. Christ comes to Paul in a bright light and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Go into the city and I'll tell you what you must do. After that encounter, he's left blind, he's led into the city, but he's also called and commissioned with the gospel to get this, to be the one to actually share it with the Gentiles, those who aren't even Jewish. That's like the antithesis of the life Paul thought that he was going to live. And so what you're seeing is the thief had stolen life from Paul. And now by grace, Jesus is giving it back to Paul. And while this work is happening in Paul's life, the Lord also appears to another Christ follower named Ananias. And this is where we're going to come in the text. Acts chapter 9, verse 10 through 14. We're going to see God call Ananias to be the one to welcome Paul or Saul into the faith. Let's see it. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias is like, God, I know who he is. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if you know who he is. I know who he is. I don't think this is a good idea, right? Like he's like, I'm not so sure. I, I don't know. I don't know. But God knows and God tells Ananias his instructions. Verse 15 but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The Lord tells Ananias, hey, this is my guy. He is my man. He is my chosen instrument. And he's going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to the people of Israel. And, and rest assured, Ananias, this is not going to be an easy life for him. There will be struggle and he will suffer along the way. But make no mistake, he is the one whom I am choosing. He is the one who I am sending. And so Ananias obeys the Lord's direction. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. I wonder what that moment was like for both Paul and for Ananias. Because Paul, the one, who, the one who hunted Christians, the one who delighted in their persecution and execution, the one who separated families and tried to extinguish the community of Christ, he is now called brother by Ananias. Remember, at this point, he's done nothing to show that he's a changed man. 
Right? He's, he's done nothing to show that that type of hatred and evil is not still in his heart. He's done nothing to clean up his reputation. He's done nothing to, to earn any type of standing with the group that he's persecuted, that he's hunted, that he's killed. But yet here, he's forgiven, he's accepted, he's welcomed in, and called brother. Now at this point, Paul has not only received grace from Jesus, but also from those who follow him. And you see it's in the community of Christ where we experience the grace of Christ. And this helps Paul understand all the more the life that he has discovered in Jesus. And think about this from Ananias' perspective. Because he had heard of Paul. He knew what Paul had done. And now he's the one to walk into that room to look at that man and call him brother. He was the one who had to give grace to him. And if he's going to give that much grace, Ananias is going to have to connect to reservoirs of grace and mercy and kindness. And so for Ananias, it's going to help him connect more to the grace that he has received from Christ Jesus as well. And so even from Ananias' perspective, in the community of Christ, we experience the grace of Christ and it helps all discover the life that Christ has given to us. And look, here's the deal. I, I think some of you, this is where you are right now in your relationship with the church. You either find yourself as Paul or maybe find yourself in the role of Ananias. Some of you might be feeling like you've done too much, you've hurt too many, you've made too many mistakes to be loved by Christ and to be accepted by him. And maybe along the way, a church judged you or shamed you. Maybe you feel that way from Grace City. Maybe there's been some breakdown in interpersonal relationships in our church. Maybe I've said or done something that is making you feel like you're on the outside. No, 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 hear me on this, all right? At Grace City and every church should be a place, an agent of grace and reconciliation to where in this community of faith, you should experience a grace that overwhelms with the love of Christ to where you too can know, should know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you can be welcomed in and discover the life that Christ has created and called you to live. Still, maybe you're on the Ananias side of things. Maybe there's someone in the church who's wronged you or hurt you. And if the church is going to stay unified, if it's not going to be divided and fractured or splintered, then that relationship must be repaired. It must be mended. And when you give grace, when you give that mercy for that relationship to be mended, then you are connecting to the grace and mercy that Christ has shown to you. And it's a way that you too can discover life in and through Christ in and through his community. Now, I hope you know that when we give grace in those situations, it's just like how when Christ gave grace to us, it's not that the sin didn't matter anymore. It's not like everything's okay. It's not like it doesn't mean that, every, that, that what we did didn't matter or there weren't consequences to it. But what grace does is it, it helps create distance from the sin, right? We have that distance from the sin. We can see it. We can confess it. We repent. We turn from it. And then we also know that that sin's not going to be held over us in perpetuity. It's not going to be held over us for the rest of our life, right? And so it, it creates that distance. Same thing happens when you give grace to someone, you allow space for them to confess, repent of that sin, and you let them know you're not going to hold that sin over the future of that relationship. And it's a way where you can, can then begin to take steps towards uh, restoration and towards uh, renewal in and through uh, that relationship. And, and with it all, it's a way that we discover life in Christ through community. And it, it works for Paul. It absolutely works here because uh, Paul discovers the, gra- the life and, and through the grace of Jesus, through the community of Jesus. And then he begins to preach the hope of that grace. He preaches to both the Jews and the Gentiles. So this man who is rising up the ranks of Jewish leadership, even persecuting Christians along the way, now he accepts Christ 
and accepts his role to tell as many as he can about the life that he's found in Jesus. Now Paul has a new purpose. He has a new purpose in his life. His purpose was, you know, uh, trappings of religion. His purpose was nation of Israel. Now his purpose is Jesus. And in Acts 20, 22 through 24, we see how much that grips his life because the Lord calls Paul to go to Jerusalem, which was risky because he might die there for preaching the gospel. And yet Paul replies with this in verse 20, 22, he says this, and now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul says, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. I've got a plan. I don't know what's going to happen with it, though, right? Like I, I don't know what's going to happen to me or my life, but I'm going there intentionally. I'm go, I have a reason for going. I have a purpose for going. And what's his purpose? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's his purpose. And that's the purpose that's given to every follower of Christ. And you see, one of the ways that we are, are loved by Jesus one of the ways that we experience his grace is that he gives us this eternal purpose. He gives us this eternal pursuit. And hear me when I say this, while that purpose, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, while that is a purpose that is universal for every follower of Christ, it is expressed in a unique way in every follower of Christ. It is a common purpose with very distinct and individual expressions of it. Like for, for me, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor. So it's predominant expression in my life is working in and with the church and, 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 uh, and, and helping one another co connect uh, to this mission, right? Now it's predominant expressed in my life that way. Not the only way it's expressed. There are other ways it's expressed where it's you know, building relationships with those on my son's sports teams or, or community that have with folks in, in, in the gym. And so there are other ways that I find expressions of it, but it's predominantly expressed in my life in and through uh, the role that I have here at the church, it's going to look different from you. It's going to look different, di different in your life, but you still have this task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, and that can happen for you in your classroom. It can happen for you as you talk with clients or patients or family members. The predominant way you might express that is in the home as you parent your kids. There are all sorts of ways, but make no mistake, this is a purpose that we have been given. And when we live our life for the purposes of Christ, I'm telling you, we discover life and life to the full. Because then we have the resolve that Paul has. Whatever hardship we might face, whatever opposition we, that might come our way, whatever struggles we might walk through, we can still know, hey, my life is not going to be misspent. It is not going to be wasted. I'm not going to be deceived because I know that all along the way, I'm telling all about the good news of God's grace. And I'm telling you, when we get to the end of our life, whenever that might be, we can know that we have lived well because we can speak to the truth that we have discovered life in Christ all along the way. And look, when that is our purpose, when that is your purpose, it, it, it does so much. It connects us to God's eternal work and it connects us to the redeeming work that he is doing in the world around us. And this is something uh, that I think um, many Christians have um, a, a broken just theology here. I, I think so many times 
Christians can take the eternal hope that we have, like, okay, I know that I'm going to be with Jesus when I die. I'm going to be part of the kingdom of God. I'm going to be, you know, be in heaven when I die. We can take that, and it leads to this escapist theology, this escapist practice. We're like, okay, I'm going to you know, make sure I'm good in my relationship with him. I'll love my family well. I might be concerned about the stuff that impacts my family because I'm concerned about comfort living and, and being comfortable in the way that we live and whatnot. Um, but it, it, it very rarely does it push past that because there's this escapist theology. Because like, I know one day I'm going to be with heaven, so I'm just going to kind of survive and go through this life until I get to go and be with him. But look, that's not, you're losing out on the power of the gospel there. You're losing out on, on, on the power of this eternal purpose. Because what happens is when we have this eternal hope, that leads us to make an immediate impact in this broken and fallen world. It can help us see tragedy in this world and yet not be consumed by it because we know it's on borrowed time, right? We know that tragedies and brokenness and heartache, one day it's gonna go away. We know that it's on borrowed time, but we can see that tragedy and also in a strange way, have a sense of power, have a sense of agency, have a sense of even responsibility for the tragedy, responsibility for what's broken because we don't have feelings of insignificance in that moment. But as if our creator did not create us for a specific time, for a specific place. Hear me on this, church. Do you realize that you have been created for this moment, right here, right now, walking through this cultural moment? COVID, calls for social justice, pandemic, elections, political stage, whatever. You have been called and placed to walk through this time in history. Why? To testify to the good news of God's grace. Placed here for that. It's the purpose that we can live for in and through all of this. And look, if you're a follower of Christ, you're perfectly suited for this. Perfectly suited for this because we've had the experience that Paul has had. Maybe not the dramatic Damascus Road experience, but we can all, as a follower of Christ, speak to the same truth. We know what it's like to have a past and now have a future with Christ. Amen? We know what it's like for our old to be gone and our new to come and to be a new creation. We know what it's like to go from dead in our transgressions to now alive in Christ. And that has happened for me. If that's happened for you, the worst of sinners, it can happen for anyone. And we can testify to the good news of God's grace. It's an eternal purpose that we can live for, that can be uniquely and individually expressed in our day-to-day living. And it's why it's part of our mission of our church, because through it all, we exist to help one another discover life in Christ by grace, in community, and with purpose. It's the why behind everything we do at our church. We want to help one another discover and continually discover life in Christ. It's the promise that Jesus offered and we want everyone to connect to it. But remember, as a a church, what a church is, it is a group of people who've been redeemed by Christ and commissioned with the gospel. So that means what we do depends on you. And so you have to ask yourself the question, how are you discovering life in Christ and helping others do the same? For some of you, the first step is to ask yourself, have you discovered life in Christ? Have you trusted in the work of Jesus on the cross to redeem you from your sin and to move you from dead in sin to alive in Christ? Do you know what it means to have the life of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit inside your heart, inside your soul? If not, that's the first step that some of you need to take. And if not, I would say fill out the connection card that's that's linked below, send the email, make the phone call. We would love to be able to have that conversation with you and help you take that step of faith. 
Once, taken that, once you've taken that step, then there's another to take. How do you help others discover life? Is it through giving to someone the grace that you've received from Jesus? Is it by pouring into a place of community? I know with COVID right now, the expressions of community in and around Grace City are, are, are different. Maybe the expressions of community that you're in, in, in the neighborhood, actually in our community, is different right now. But do you have places where you can both receive and give the grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness that we have in Jesus? Are you discovering life in Christ by living for his eternal purposes, testifying to the good news of his grace, and helping others do the same? When this is our aim, we discover life in Christ and we ensure ourselves that life will not be stolen from us, that we will not be deceived, that we will not be wasting our lives or wasting years pursuing wrong ends, but we can know and trust that we are stewarding our lives well and that they will be well spent. It's what we want to help you be intentional about with your life, with your faith, that at every occasion, you yourself and you help others discover life in Christ. It's the mission. It's the what behind everything we do. It's the why behind everything we do here at Grace City. It's the promise that he has given. And it's one that we hope any and all find hope and find their experience with. That we would truly discover life in him. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. And we thank you. We thank you for this promise that you have given that, we might, that in you we might have life and have life to the full. And God, I pray uh, for those listening, I pray that, that for all of us, Lord God, that we would first and foremost connect to you, to the hope that you have given, to the grace that you have given, to the mercy uh, that, that you have given to us, Lord God, that we would confess our sin and trust in you and, and know the eternal life that you desire to give to each and every single one of us so that we would not perish but would have life with you and in your kingdom. God, I pray also that we would know that that leads us um, to be about your eternal work and to be about your redeeming work that you're doing here in this world, Lord God, that we would be uh, committed to the task of telling all uh, about the grace uh, of you and of your gospel, that we would speak that with our words, that we would show it with our actions, that we would put flesh and blood on that with the way that we love others, the way that you have loved us. God, help us to be committed to this in such a way to where we discover life in you and we continually discover the life that you've created and called us to live. And that, Lord God, we are helping others do the same. God, we love you and we thank you for the life that you've given to us and we thank you for the life that you've called us to live. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.